0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the PA Path Podcast. Before we get started, we'd like to extend a special thank you to our episode sponsor, the NEJM Group. Today, we meet with Dr. Lucy Kibay. Dr. Kibay is the program director with the Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science PA program. She is a leader, educator, researcher, and she holds a Doctor of Public Health degree with a concentration in Community Health and Prevention from Drexel University. She has held several clinical roles, including the Chief Medical Quality Officer and Director of Clinical and Wellness Services with federally qualified health centers, and she has received a $70,000 grant from NIH and a $600,000 grant from the American Cancer Society for her work on dietary behavior and colorectal cancer prevention among minority populations. She has also pioneered the EDGE PA program, which is dedicated to enhancing representation of Black men in PA training, And we look forward to learning more about this. Lucy, welcome. We're excited to learn more about you. If you could start, just tell us how you became a PA. What was your path to becoming a PA?
1: Thank you for having me. My path to becoming a PA is very untraditional. I'm originally from Kenya, where I did my undergraduate degree, which was in agriculture and home economics, completely unrelated to healthcare but it was during that time that i got introduced to nutrition as part of my training i was being trained to be an extension worker to go out and and help families and farmers and so that included courses related to milking cows this class i took on animal husbandry where we had to get up at 4am to go and learn how to milk cows using machinery and so on i didn't enjoy that very much until we started talking about nutrition and and the science of it and that really captivated me. So I went on to get a master's in nutrition and dietetics with the plan of becoming a registered dietitian. But that was at the University of Akron, which I really appreciated because they paid my tuition. I was a research associate assistant there. And then I started learning a lot about nutrition and nutrition research. And I got captivated with the nutrition research and less with becoming a registered dietitian at a hospital so i sought out positions for nutrition related research which i landed an excellent position at the children's hospital of philadelphia and i worked there as a research associate at our nutrition and growth lab under dr mary leonard who is now at stanford an amazing pediatric nephrologist and that's where my love of research started but while I was at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Drexel was starting a brand new doctor of public health degree, and Children's Hospital was giving me $10,000 a year of tuition benefits. So I took advantage of that. And that's where I met the first two PAs who are also in the same program. And I started to learn about the, the profession, got very interested, and, and asked to have a meeting with Pat Oth, who was the director at that time. Because I was writing my dissertation at the time. I already had a master's and I was finishing up my degree. So I met with him to say, what can I do with this degree if I do that? If I go back and get another master's, what's in it for me? Am I going backwards? Should I do it? And he was extremely supportive and told me about education, about research, and about things that I could do besides seeing patients or in addition to seeing patients. And, and so I applied to the program and, and got accepted at Drexel. And and it was a, a great experience, and I'm really glad that I did that.
0: Dr. Roth is one of the nicest human beings on the planet, so it's so nice to hear that he recruited you into the profession. That's great.
2: Yes. So that background really led you to having some interesting roles in your clinical practice. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences in the clinical world before your entry into education?
1: Yes. So just before I graduated, there was a position open at Project Home, which is our an organization that uh, takes care of people experiencing homelessness in Philadelphia. And they had a medical department, was a free clinic at the time. And they had a position for a director for the clinic. Uh, and they were opening up a new FQHC and it was going to be way bigger than the free clinic they had. And so they were looking for someone and My very good friend, Julie Kinzel, who became the program director at Drexel later on, and Annie Madden, who was also a professor there, they encouraged me to apply for that position. And I was not even graduated, and I was applying for a director position at a clinic, and I had never practiced as a PA. But they encouraged me to apply for it, so I did. The vice president of the clinical services at Project HOME was a PA. And so I was able to meet with them and they appreciated my public health background and now the clinical background that I had. And so they took a chance on me and it was very frightening at the time because I hadn't seen any patients and here I was really leading the charge on this brand new clinic with new nurses, I had to hire new nurses, medical assistants, other other providers to really start this clinic. And so I, I started my PA career as a PA leader. And it was a, a huge learning curve, but I really did appreciate it. And then later on at another FQHC in, in Virginia, I became the chief quality officer. And that was very, really where some of my research skills came in because all the quality improvement work that needed to be done at the clinic, I was able to do that. And it was easy for me because I had done research before. And so I had to wear my public health hat, my research hat, and my clinical training had. And and so I was able to be successful in that job because I, I had those skills from before.
0: Lucy, I'm curious, as a new grad PA, certainly you had your doctorate of public health and you had that public health experience, but how you acknowledged your own kind of concerns about being new and being in this leadership role right away, how did that work out with you in terms of your colleagues and the other clinicians that were leading? And what were the evolution of that so that you gained comfort in that role.
1: I was lucky because it was a very supportive environment. And the vice president of medical service was a PA. So they were very familiar with PAs in leadership. And it was not very easy because there's things I didn't know. And I had to learn from the nurses and I had to learn from the MAs and I had to learn from other people. But I was able to get mentors Who were in similar roles? I just reached out to people, and I said, "This is a new role." I reached out to other FQHCs in the area and reached out to their leaders, and and had lunch with them. I said, "Can I buy you lunch and pick your brain?" And so they were able to help me on how do you hire new MAs, how do you develop protocols for a brand new clinic, what are the metrics that you have to be careful about because now as an FQHC there are certain metrics that we have to meet. How do I deal with hiring? Other PAs, other NPs, MDs. How do we gel? How do I create groups and pods, and and make sure that you know the clinic schedule is flowing and finances are being spent well, and uh, and all of those things. So uh, it was a lot of reading, a lot of talking to people, and and just really listening to the mentors and applying that information, and and just trusting myself when just uh, putting my best foot forward. And it took a lot of hard work because I had to work very many hours training myself so that I would be useful to the rest of my team. So it did take some sacrifice and, and learning on my end for me to be successful.
0: I had the chance Wednesday to teach in the College of Public Health at the University of Arizona for undergrad students. And I was teaching on health equity leadership and advocacy, but it was interesting to listen to the freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors who are taking this gen ed course, talk about what leadership means to them and what I hear you saying are directly aligning with what they said, which is humility, having a curious soul, the curiosity to understand, the humility to ask for help, the ability, the intellect to research answers and to try things. And just like classic research, you you have a hypothesis and then you try it out. And if it's not working, you adjust. It's just interesting to me that this group of 20 plus years old folks lined up exactly what you just said.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I must say that the PA who was the VP there, Monica McCarty, and and Dr. Plum, who are the other ones that interviewed me. I was very honest with them. I said, I have not had any clinical experience. And, and I'm really not sure what I will need to do in this position. I'm going to look to you to support me and to lead me in what I should do. And I'm willing to just learn from you. So I was very honest that I would need help, and they were very kind. And the fact that they accepted me and hired me while I had been honest that I would need help made me feel like I owed them. I couldn't let them down. I had to do my best. So that was a driver to make sure that I was successful, that this clinic really stood and was successful, and everybody that came in, I think, felt that culture of everybody wanting this to succeed and to do well because we were working with a very vulnerable population. And so, developing that culture of compassion and acceptance and a non judgmental environment was very important to everybody that was at that clinic. So, because we accepted our patients very well, it was easy for us to also accept each other and support each other and work together for the benefit of ourselves and our, our population that we served.
2: Sounds like a really positive work environment. <laughs> I am always curious as to what drew people eventually then into the educational realm. What was it that finally hooked you into academia and took your path into education and then ultimately to Charles Drew?
1: Yeah, so I have always, since my young age, almost always been a geek. I loved libraries. I loved reading. It's my best place in front of a computer or in a book is my comfortable place. But straight after my undergrad back in Kenya, I got hired as an, they called called us untrained teachers, really to just help teachers at a high school. And I really enjoyed that experience. So that was my introduction to, to education. And then at the University of Akron, as this research associate or assistant, my job was really to help the faculty in the department to do whatever they needed done. My tuition was being paid and I had to work 20 hours a week at the department doing whatever they needed done. And they still paid me for the 20 20 20 hours. So I thought that they were, it was just an amazing place. So I got involved with so many things. I graded papers for them. I, I did their data entry for them. I brought them coffee. I did whatever they needed done. And I got more and more interested in, in academia And and then when I became a PA, I had an adjunct position uh, at so I did guest, guest lecturing, so got myself introduced to that. And then while I was there, I saw this position that just kept me awake the whole night. I was scrolling on the PAEA job site, and I saw this position for the now University of Lynchburg Doctor of Medical Science director position. And that was very interesting to me because before I became a PA, I had been very interested on what does a person with a doctorate degree and a PA degree, what does this do for you? Who are you? What can you become? So I had thought about that a lot. And so when I saw this position, this was an opportunity for PAs to get a doctorate degree. It really captured me. It was like, this is what I've been thinking about. I've been wondering about this. So I immediately applied to that position and and Dr. Jeremy Welsh was very kind to hire me and, and take me on for a year to help with the preparation of the program. That was the first time I became a full-time faculty at a PA program and, and really got to learn PA education and everything that it entails and the development of a new program and curriculum and and accreditation and all of that. So eventually, when I went to, the, to Charles Drew University as the program director there, I was prepared to take on this leadership role in an academic institution because I had learned along the way how to be an educator.
0: So let's talk about Charles Drew. As I recall, when I was in LA, I learned quite a bit about Charles Drew back then. You were one of the original MedEx satellites, you in the University of Utah and so there was a, a an investment in the Charles Drew model even back in the early 70s. One of the first programs in California, as I recall, if not the first. And now they have you at the helm and there's exciting things going on there. So let's talk a little bit about the program and what applicants should be looking for to strengthen their application to get into your program.
1: Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science PA program is actually the first PA program in California. It's been around for 50 plus years. Started off as a certificate all the way to associate degree, bachelor's degree, and and now a master's degree. And we are the the only HBCU type institution on the West Coast. Our institution was actually founded on the ashes of what's known as the Watts Uprising. It was an area, we are around near Compton Watts area, which is a very low-income, very underserved community. And in the 1960s, there was that uprising where people were just tired of poverty and and just not being seen and not being heard. And out of that, there's a hospital across the street from us that was built. And our institution was also built to train providers. Uh, So we have a nursing school, we have a medical school, we have the PA profession, which is a flagship. We have other majors at our institution. We're mostly a graduate medical institution, although we do have some undergrad But our institution was really put there to support the community. So our goal is to train students and providers who will go out and provide excellent medical care, but not just provide excellent medical care, but also think about the whole patient, provide that compassion, provide medical care in the context of social justice, eliminating health disparities and promoting health equity. So our curriculum is based around that. We teach the regular PA curriculum, but we pad it and do it under the context of social justice. So our students, when they graduate, we expect them to be leaders, to be disruptors. If something is going on that they don't think is right, if patients are not getting the best care, if the holistic care is not being provided, we expect them to be the leaders out there making those changes in the health systems. And not just in the clinic, but in their communities. A lot of our students practice in underserved communities when they graduate. A lot of them stay in the state of California. And so we have a lot of graduates that are doing great things in the community, especially in the underserved communities. So a student or an applicant who wants to come to Charles Drew has to have to connect with our values. And that's one of the things we look at in your personal statement. In the letters of recommendations, in the interviews, we want to make sure that student really connects with our values, that wants to go out there and health disparities, that cares about patients who maybe don't speak English, who have no health insurance, uh, and have other social factors that affect their health care, and is willing to go out of the way to support that patient in a holistic way. So that's what we look for in in a candidate.
0: When I was at USC, some of my best educators were graduates of your program. Lisa Landry-Taylor, who had graduated a while ago, taught for our program for over 20 years. And just really everything you're talking about in terms of what embodies your institution poured out of her soul when she taught. So obviously you've done a great job with that. Thank you.
2: Let's take a quick break for a word from our episode supporter, NEJM Group. NEJM Group provides a trio of education solutions to enrich your PA curricula and help you to coach students through the learning process effectively and efficiently. These high-quality and easy-to-implement resources include a PANTS-centric adaptive question bank, virtual patient encounters for deliberate practice, foundational online learning by rotation topic, and robust reporting and assessment. This integrated approach to today's teaching and training challenges will save educators time and keep learners on track. Learn more at nejmgroup.org forward slash education.
0: So for an applicant who is interested in that mission, who wants to be part of that leadership opportunity to really change the world, to disrupt social justice, and to fix the gaps in in healthcare, uh, what are you looking for as a program to see that they're the right fit for your mission.
1: So we have the, the basic requirements like every other program, certain courses that you have to have completed in your undergrad, and all that is spelled out on our website of what courses need to have been completed. We also look at your patient care hours. Where have you been practicing Practicing your patient care hours? Have you been shadowing PAs? Do you really understand what a PA is? we we'll look at volunteer hours. Have you volunteered in, say, shelters? Have you volunteered in underserved communities? Do you really understand what eliminating health disparities means? Are you interested in that mission? So we do look at all of that. And in our interviews, we ask difficult questions and and we want to hear examples of work that they have done in those areas because we get close to 3,000 applicants for 26 seats. So we want to make sure that these are students who really will embody our mission. But we also want to make sure that we are a good fit for them. And we do tell them, you're interviewing us as much as we're interviewing you. And there has to be that connection. There has to be that connection. Because our students get involved while they're students in a lot of community work already. Because we want them to leave the place better than they found it, the community better than they found it. When they come in, they become members of that community. And while they're there, they need to support the community in one way or another, we have a student club called the Social Justice Society that is student-run, and the students are doing a lot of different things around the, the community. a the student applying to our program needs to be willing to go to an area where they might feel uncomfortable, but to really be able to connect with the community. And so they interview with us as well to make sure that we are the right fit for them. Lucy, I had the opportunity
2: to listen to your presentation with your colleague Samuel Paik about your EDGE program. I was wondering if you could speak about that a little bit. It's the EDGE program, EDGE standing for Empowerment, Diversity, Growth, and Excellence, and it is targeted at increasing the number of Black men in the PA profession. I very much enjoyed that presentation, and I would love for you to tell our our listeners about that a little bit. Oh, Thank you.
1: So, yeah, so the HPA program was really born out of a realization of the health disparities among patients, but also among the healthcare workforce. And we recognized that in our applicants' pool, there were very few Black men that were applying, and those who were applying uh, did not fully qualify to join our program for many different reasons. Either they were missing certain prerequisites, or their GPAs were a little low, or they were missing letters of recommendations or they didn't interview well and, and so on. And we have, because of our mission, we have some metrics and we want to make sure that our class is balanced and that our class really looks like the rest of California. And so we started this pilot project to really support the black men that were interested in the PA program, but needed just a little bit of support to be able to be competitive in the application and in, in interviewing process. So it started as a pilot project just for our program, but we later on decided that we needed to provide opportunity for the black men that we were mentoring to be able to apply to whatever program they wanted to go to. So it is really a mentorship program. We we don't offer any courses. Uh, We just help with essays. We help them with their CASPA application. We make recommendations on maybe increasing patient care hours. If they're, say, for example, their anatomy course uh, was a C, we say, maybe you, you should retake that course. So we basically look at the application and help mentor them to become a candidate that is most likely to be accepted in a PA program. We've also been very successful in partnering with some PA programs around the country. And basically what we have asked them is, could you please save just one interview seat for Edge PA candidates? We are not saying accept them. If they meet your minimum requirements, will you interview them and give them feedback? And maybe they can apply another time. It has been a very successful program. Last year, we had nine men that we mentored, and eight of them were accepted to peer programs across the country. One of them was not ready, and and so he's retaking some classes. This year, we are mentoring 12 men. Six of them have already been accepted and we're mid-cycle and the other ones are still interviewing. Most of them are getting multiple offers and they have to select where they want to go. That's fantastic. And I just want to just throw a few numbers there for those listening who, who may not be aware. So in 2021, there were 30,196 PA applicants through Casper, And out of those, only 732 were Black men. The matriculation rate overall was 36.8%. And so there were 11,100 PA students that got accepted into peer programs across the country. Among Black men, the matriculation rate was lower. It was at 21%. And only 156 Black men matriculated. Out of the 11,100, Black men were only 156. So there's a disparity in our healthcare workforce, the PA profession, not just in the fact that very few black men are applying, but also even those that apply, the matriculation rate is also lower. So what does this mean for us as a profession in PA programs? Why aren't more black men applying? Out of all the applicants, only 2 about 2% of all PA applicants are black men. And based on census data, there should be about 8.7 percent of all applicants. My, I urge PA programs to do more to increase the pool, to ad- advertise the profession to more Black men. Whether it means partnering with community centers, with churches, with HBCUs, with undergraduate programs that have more Black men—they just don't know much about the PA profession, and so they're not applying. And then when they apply. We need to work as a profession to make sure that there's equitable acceptance rates. So our HPA program supports Black men to help them be more competitive. And then the PA programs that partner with us are supporting us in really looking at these applications, providing feedback, and supporting these Black men to be able to apply in the future. Because ultimately, the health disparities that we talk about in this country are worse among black men. And we already know that there's a lot of research that has been done that shows that when your provider understands you, looks like you, and when the patient feels like they connect with their provider, they're more likely to have better health outcomes. So increasing the healthcare workforce among black men will really support in reducing health disparities among black men in this country, which is good for the entire country as a community. So we hope that more peer programs can can uh, join us in doing this. And ultimately, we hope that there will be more branches of HPA programs among different PA programs, because we only, can only put out nine or six or nine. But if 10 programs did that, then we would have 10 times as many Black men to join the peer profession.
2: I was really struck by the numbers that, that you just recapped there for us, which is the dearth of first of all applicants, but then also the number of black men who matriculate. And we know that this is it's not a problem that's exclusive to the PA profession. It's all health professions. But you also quoted an article. It was the Salzburg article, one that I was familiar with because I had quoted I had used it as a reference in another article that I had was involved with. But the PA profession doesn't look great in that article, because among professions, the PA profession really ranks pretty low in all of those categories, both Black and Hispanic applicants.
1: Yes, absolutely. Third article was a game changer. In fact, they looked at graduate practicing PAs, and they also looked at graduates. And out of 10 professions, the PA profession was at the very bottom of the number of Black graduates and number four from the bottom for all Hispanic graduates out of the 10 professions. So as a profession, we're not doing well at all, and, and we really need to pick it up.
2: Yeah, I'd like to very much amplify your plea for all programs. And I've said this over and over, if you've heard me speak and heard me reference diversity, that's something that I feel really strongly about that, of course, it's important that we're doing things on the national level and PAEA and federal initiatives and things like that. But the gateway to our profession is truly at the admissions processes for each of our programs. And if we as individual programs, we can't leave it to a few exemplar programs to carry the diversity torch and do the work. It it has to be every program. We all have to be looking at this. I echo your sentiments.
1: Absolutely. And at our program, we have tried to eliminate barriers such as we don't require GRE. And others have shown that It doesn't translate into better pants rates anyway, Uh, yet we keep using it as a gatekeeper. We don't have a cutoff GPA. We prefer a 3.0 GPA for applicants, but we have accepted applicants with 2.8, 2.9, and they have passed the pants. And we've had 3.5, 3.6 that did not pass the pants on the first try, Looking at an applicant holistically, sometimes students in the first, second year didn't really know what they were doing. Maybe they had some social issues. They pick it up in the third and fourth year. Maybe they do some post-back courses. And now the the GPA, their science GPA might still be in the 2.8, but they've picked it up. We promise our students when they come in that we will do everything we can to help them graduate. And so we have been very deliberate in getting the a student who we know will go back and live the mission, our mission, and we bring them in and we support them. We support them to be successful. But I know resources are scarce in many places, but students still come in with very low mar- mar- marks and, and pick it up. So a lot of times programs may not want to bring in students with a lower GPA because then they want 100% pass rate, which we all want, but there are students who will pick it up with enough support. So I encourage programs to just do that holistic admission and not put too much weight on one item versus the whole person.
0: The universities are coming under scrutiny for not helping students succeed. And it is, in my opinion, it's a moral obligation for us when we take their tuition dollars that we need to give them every opportunity to succeed. So we applaud you for what you're doing there and wish you very strong success in the future. Before we go, we'd love to offer you a chance to answer anything else that you were hoping that we would talk about or share any guidance that you want to provide.
1: Yeah, I, I think probably we could talk about research and, uh, and grants. That is uh, something that I think is crucial for our profession. We don't do enough research and it's because our programs, whereas our programs are set up, we have to teach cardiology and we have to teach them to pass the pain. So there is just not enough time to teach research and health systems management and leadership and all of that. But specifically for research for, this is not really for students. They don't have time to do that. But as I think we have opportunities that we have forgone, And I wanna put a plug to PAs to really be confident enough to apply for grants. So I was able to get two pretty large grants just because I put in the effort. If anybody wants to do research, get grants, really absolutely with just some mentorship and, and some hard work. It is absolutely possible. So people ask me, how have you been successful? But you don't have to do it all. In my grants, I write in research assistants. I do maybe 10-20% of the work, but I have somebody full-time who runs the City Research Project. The first thing is not to be afraid to apply. There's so many applications out there as healthcare providers, We have an opportunity to get these grants to make a difference. A lot of my grants are on implementing programs that help patients, that increase colorectal cancer screening, for example, that promote healthy eating. That is in line with what we do in clinic. And so I highly encourage PA educators, clinicians to go out and do that. If you don't know how to do research, learn how to do it. You don't need to know how to do data analysis to the fullest. I have a statistician on my team that does a lot of that for us. I wanted to put that plug out there for PA clinicians to really be confident enough to go out and do that.
0: That is the secret sauce. Those grants allow you to hire a team to help you be successful at it. And talk about five-year federal grant will get you 10 to 20 publications pretty easily with the team working together, so... That's a great last word. Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time with us today to share about your path and your program. And Steph and I wish you the very best in your future.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: We want to thank our guest, Dr. Lucy Kibay, for her time and for sharing all of the wonderful information about the Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science PA program. Dr. Kibay's passion for service, education, and research is admirable, and her contributions to PA education. Are helping our profession achieve our goals for inclusion and equity. We would like to extend a special thanks again to our episode sponsor, the NEJM Group.